Welcome to High on the Hog with Merrill Schindler and co-hosts Joanna Belson and Janice Hardoon. This is a podcast about all things cannabis. Tune in every week as Merrill, Joanna, and Janice discuss the medical benefits of CBD and THC products with each other, as well as with informed guests from the cannabis industry and the lawmakers who regulate it. Enjoy the show. This is Merrill Schindler, and here on High on the Hog, we have had many unique guests. It's been an education. It's been it's been an exper- it's been a growth experience for me, and I am I am so honored this week. I am deeply honored to have sisters of the valley, sisters of CBD, Sister Alice and Sister Kate. Um, I'm sure you've been asked this many times before, sisters, but. How does did how how did this start? How did how did how did a pair of sisters, not related sisters, but religious sisters, get into this business? It seems a cognitive dissonance. My head is spinning. Help me. The um, we were born of the Occupy movement. We were born of the awareness to um, the mass of Americans or the movement that brought awareness to the number of people that are marginalized by our society. And we are more and more gravitating towards a castle system where you're either born into it or you're not. And the system in America here in 2011, I guess the Occupy movement broke out, wasn't much different than a feudal system from the castle ages. But anyway, we aren't doing anything that's all that novel. Women banding together in tough times, uh, living together, working together, praying together, and dressing alike to identify their enclave goes back to as early as the 600s in the castles of Europe. And we we are not really patterned after Catholic nuns or really have anything to do with them other than we are trying to emulate their devotion and their excellence. And we are not trying to insult them anyway, anyone who's spiritual. That's against our beliefs anyway, to insult anybody else's beliefs unless they victimize others. Um, And uh, so anyway, back in the 600s, in the castles in Europe, up until like the 1300s, there were these enclaves of women who lived together, worked together, prayed together, and dressed alike uh, to identify their enclave. And they grew hemp and they made holistic medicines and they made textiles and they were widely known across Europe and in the height of their thriving, uh, every castle in Europe had a begging enclave making textile and selling textile soaps and uh, medicine. And the women lived off the grid in that they farmed, but they lived on the grid in that they kept a house in the castle. So we are much patterned after them. We came, we were born out of the Occupy movement and the realization that enough is enough. 2,000 years of women in every culture uh, suffering the brunt of poverty. And, and we actually draw a straight line to that in Christianity and the fact that our begging mothers went extinct because they would not affiliate themselves with a patriarchal, the only choice, churches. And so they were victims of the Inquisition. So we are patterned after them. At the end of the day, we are part of a begging revivalist movement that is happening in other places on the planet. But the other versions of it to us are kind of weak. They're retired people living in retirement villages who have money, who just pray together and live together till their dying day where we're trying to create growing, thriving jobs. And and we're not gonna rest uh, until we have an enclave in every town and province across the globe. 
You used a word I'm not familiar with. What is occupying? Occupy. Occupy movement. Occupied. Occupy movement. 2011, you know, Liberty Park and all the protests across oh, the country. I, I misheard it. I'm sorry, Occupy. It, it sounded like Occupine. <laughs> and I was going to Occupy. No, it's the Occupy, the Occupy movement. Occupy. Thank you very much. I speak fast. I'm sorry. I was originally... I declared myself a nun when Congress declared pizza a vegetable. And I was really, I was freshly, freshly <laughs> back from Europe. That's... I had lived in Europe and raised my children in Europe. I had gone through a horrible divorce. And it was just too much for me. That was like the straw that broke the camel's back. The morning I read that Congress declared pizza a vegetable in order to give sort of a finger to Michelle Obama, who was on a campaign to improve our lunches, which are in the worst um, in, in all the nations for our children. And that was too much for me. So the day Congress Congress declared pizza vegetable. I declared myself a nun. I put on the traditional black and white, and I started to go to protests, and I got dubbed Sister Occupy, and I got what I thought was my 15 minutes of fame, sort of because every time I would write about something we did, like closing down the ports or uh, protesting tuition hikes, the papers would pick up my article and publish it. So I thought, whoa, there's my 15 minutes of fame as Sister Occupy. But what happened is over the four years that I was out protesting in California, in San Francisco and LA, Sacramento, trooping around California as the lone crazy Occupy nun, because when you do religious garb and you're the only one in your order, that is really flaky <laughs> close to crazy. But I did it anyway as a protest. But as I was out, the women wanted me to formalize. And so it began a four-year conversation on what would a new age order of nuns look like? What would that be? How would it work? At the end of the day, we rejected religion because religions are picking traditional religions are picking the pockets of the poor and we see how our mega churches are living and they abuse their status we chose not to be a nonprofit because the nfl is a nonprofit. we choose not to be in that club either that has abused the status of nonprofit. when we all know that's a for-profit enterprise so we chose for like the begins do they believed in private property for women and women owning businesses so we've set out to have all our enclaves owned by the women who found them across the world and we have a British enclave now in England, and we have a New Zealand and Brazil and Humboldt in Mexico, so it's starting to happen for us. Now, you do know that in the Reagan administration, they declared ketchup a vegetable. That's exactly yes. kind of which, what Congress Which I did. actually think is probably more, more arduous, more wrong than even pizza. Pizza at least has, you know... Bread. Well, that's where they started <laughs> oh, to go geez. wrong in the Reagan administration. Reagan would have done so us a favor by becoming a He did ketchup. Himself. So that was, you know, <laughs> if you had to have like um, uh, three vegetables on a plate and ketchup was one of them, it was, it was okay. That was really, really mean stuff. Um, okay, so, I mean, is there a central body of some sort? Is there is there an organization that you're, or are you guys just freelance? We're kind of going, I think we're going to grow up to be a string of women-owned businesses that are affiliated under one banner. The way it's working now with the enclaves is uh, they start up their own stuff in their corner of the world because it's very different what you can do in New Zealand versus what you can do in UK versus what you can do in Mexico. Uh, and some of them are making soaps and things under our brand that are quite legal, and then they all tithe 10% to the mothership. Like we're the Mormon headquarters, except we're a little cheaper, I think. Um, and we're kind of doing it that way to help seed because we're mm. the 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 selling, the making and selling of uh, cannabis products is just a way for us to grow our worldwide movement, which is to create honorable jobs for people that combine spiritualis, spirituality and combine activism. Those are that's sort of our holy trinity: service to the people, so serve them in a compassionate way. 
um, and activism. Weave that into your life, progressive activism, either holding your uh, lawmakers accountable or running for office yourself, but whatever, giving time or being an activist pain in the butt for reform. And then uh, the third one is, what did I say? Service activism and, and spirituality. spirituality. And to do everything that we do, we do in a spiritual environment. So, But we do it like the Beguines did pre-Christian. So we organize our lives by the cycles of the moon. Um, and that means we make our medicines from new moon to full moon. We always put up a batch on a new moon. We bottle them and complete them on a full moon. Full moons are for the tribe. Uh, we go plant-based in our diet, meaning no meat for new moon to full moon. So, but on full moon, we have a feast for the tribe. And then we get meat, and we get meat once a day for 12, for the next 14 days before we repeat, rinse and repeat the cycle with our medicine. And all our batches are marked by the cycle of moon and tested by an independent lab so the outside world can always find the test results and so forth. So we're, we're doing the best we can to be like our Beguine mothers with one foot on the grid and one foot off. When we moved to our one-acre farm, the first thing we did was build a Wi-Fi tower. <laughs> Just saying. Well, you know. <laughs> You're going to have an Instagram and a Facebook and you and speak to the three people different, to educate. Come on, it's out really there. about Netflix at night and okay, no one well. dealing with those little circles. That's what it's really about. Exactly. Do you see cannabis as a as a sacrament? No, we don't. Cannabis is not at all in in our spiritual beliefs because then we'd have to see skullcap and turmeric ginger and all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, we dandelions. Work with, we work with all kinds of healing plants and healing dandelion. medicine, and none of them have been elevated to be our God to this point. No, we pray to the same God everybody else does, our Creator God, except we're like more inclined to call her goddess, even though we know. At that point, there's no delineation. There's no so, um, but no, that's not part of it. I mean, other than the fact that at the very end of the ceremony, Alice always has a joint in the fire circle. Um, it, it's usually not part of what we do. We do like to meditate and pray with the plants. We believe the energy of the healing intention. So where we make our medicine and when we work with the plant, we require it to be a very spiritual, solemn, meditative quiet. environment, quiet. The sisters are required, the makers of the medicine, to be putting as much healing intention as they in it, because we believe science will one day prove that that energy actually transfers with the medicine to the people, even if we ship the bottle over to Russia. It goes with them. So we that's like the beginning yeah. and end. We don't raise, rise for sunrise service. We do have certain blessings that are crossover Christian, Jewish, Wiccan, um, and we're and we consider ourselves a build a bear religion where we really want the women to have input into the making of how we grow, as long as we don't stray from our basic tenets. At what point in your development did did cannabis become a product? Um, I got in at the same time I declared myself a nun. I really felt like a nun. I was dirt poor, growing vegetables for a family of six. My brother and I had combined our households. And we had founded a co-op, and I was uh, delivering cannabis to dying patients, the only ones that the doctors would l refer me to. So very, very severely damaged or dying. And um, so I realized then that THC would always be a local business. I was a business analyst by trade and ran my own consulting company before my husband robbed me and left me penniless with three children to raise. So I could see that THC would always be a local business. I'm sort of a global woman, and I wanted to try to bring... The Central Valley is very, very poor and very, very troubled. And uh, I was looking back to when the old days when olives were first exported and pomegranates and almonds, and uh, started to think that if I 
could gravitate away from the THC, I might be able to launch something that brings outside dollars from the outside world into this poor farm community and maybe make a model for other women to do the same. Could you exist anywhere but California? Probably not. Um, I raised my children in the Netherlands and Amsterdam. I was on assignment there for a year, but it turned into a decade. So my children were raised in a Dutch school and are fluent, and I love the lifestyle. And whenever I start waxing on about how I love living in Europe, people go, could you do this business in Europe? And I go, no, it would have never happened. Those industries are very locked in, super regulated. Uh, I was able to be bold uh, at a time when California was in great change. And the I think the sheriffs could have arrested us for what we were doing, but knew that the likelihood was we'd get thrown out in court since we're not working with THC, we're hemp. So we've ridden the gray area, but I don't think we could have done that anywhere else. We're actually cannabis, but if you, uh, since we've always shipped all around the world our products, we've gone by UN standard. And UN standard is regardless of the plant, if it's under 0.3% THC, it's hemp. Oh. So it's not industrial hemp. I call it medical hemp, but there is no such thing. So I'm calling that all by myself. You call it CBD. Yeah, CBD. Yeah, that's a wide umbrella, though. That could even be powdered or crystallized or anything else. Um, so, I mean, when it comes to the plants, really, I hate calling beautiful cannabis colas that were bred from the same genes except bred to have the THC real low and the CBD real high, but otherwise it's medical cannabis to have it called hemp because everybody thinks industrial hemp, and it's not industrial hemp. It's cannabis that is considered hemp because it won't get you high. And yet... You, you grow other vegetables, right? Yes. You know, yeah, you have a full farm. Do you yes. show up at farmers markets with them? No. No. <laughs> just no. for us. Although, just, some, just just although somebody we work with keeps insisting we should. But <laughs> <laughs> but no, we haven't yet. And but you, but and partly you, it's because we are trying to uphold some nunly traditions. We only sell our stuff on the internet, and that's to keep us cloistered and away from the eye of the public. We really want to just be humble farm women who make our medicine and get it to the people. Um, we're activists too, so we have an obligation to be in the eye of the media, and we have our farm open to media all the time. But in that way, we'd rather not be trooping around or trooping our medicines around to markets. We'd rather just stay where it's controlled and quiet, and we can control the temperature as well of the medicines. We don't know a lot about this stuff, so there's still things we don't know about expiration dates and stuff and how the medicine reacts to extreme temperature changes. There's still an awful lot the public has to learn about this. Now, you are in an industry, the cannabis industry, where there are certain groups that are hostile to it, and yet, yeah. how could they be hostile to a, a group of nuns? I have a really, oh no, that's easy actually. <laughs> uh, we actually have Sister Sierra with us, who was 13 years a Franciscan nun, and she joined us about two years ago. So I didn't know it. I did not know until, did you know that Catholic nuns took so much abuse that like when they traveled no, from across borders, they would get out of their uniform and hide their uniforms and their Bibles because they were hassled going into Mexico. Yeah, They were hassled in other countries. Why would that be? I, I don't know. I think in today's day and age, there's post-pedophile era, uh, and we're not post it, uh, tragically, but post learning about it. Um, I think there's this thing that people look at nuns now, Catholic nuns, and think they're sheep, just dumb sheep who don't kick in their brains. That's what Sierra kind of explained. But oh, then really? also there's uh, 
there in some places there's just a lot of distrust around religion. Right. In I was general. surprised to hear that. Yeah. We we ourselves quit traveling in veil. We used to have a policy that we go out on a trip in uniform and we come back out out of uniform. Uh, but we've gotten held up a few many times at LAX standing in line with a couple of Muslims yeah, who are also being harassed by our own people and went, you know what, this isn't a good idea. So things. So I think that's how it is now. But Sierra was in the convent in like 1980 to 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know what all that was about, but this, this harassment isn't unique to us. That, that's, that's so depressing um i mean i think of of nuns as as kindly people who in places like salvador for instance have been butchered for helping people and you know as 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 people who are on the right side of 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 doing good and and i'm I'm quite shocked to understand that to hear that you would be um treated with hostility yeah, but I think the treatment of hostility really has to be put in perspective with the treatment of the good treatment. When we, we do get a lot of I mean, support. there's far, far, far more a people lot more than we that are respectful and haters. sweet. Even the pancakes this morning. That you're we screw up free. and he wouldn't let you pay for it. I mean, we give. I think that the. <laughs> I think that the. Um, um, People vast paid majority for our of the people. This is what I found out when Who I was. Who would charge a nun for pancakes? That, no, that's sinful. No, no, it was the second <laughs> round. We paid for the first <laughs> round. <laughs> now, I think what I learned, interestingly enough, out is that the people are very, very starved to have the presence of robed clergy among them. I wrote an article once called "Where Are the Clergy?" because I was very disgusted that the clergy that in the '60s, the last time we had a human rights uproar in this America, in America, and gained rights. Um, I was a girl, but I could see the images of the priests and the nuns out there working with the people. So in like 19, whatever, I'm, I'm so old, whatever. When the Occupy movement broke out, 2011, 2012, I wrote an article like, where are they? And I learned that the average age of a new Catholic nun back then, we're talking like six, seven years ago, is 78 years old. And the average age of an existing nun in America is 84, 85 years old that there were 350,000 of them when I was growing up under their tutelage, where I had that privilege, um, and that there's less than 30,000 of them now, six, seven years ago when I did this this analysis. So, um, and the priests, we are told, are not allowed to mingle with the public without lawyers and other people watching them. So that's where they are. So what I was surprising to me is that the public would be sister, sister. It's so nice to see you in the early days. You know, I went, I had the Catholic nuns when I was a kid and I would say, well, we're not one of those. And then, well, who are you? Well, I'm just a protest individual, sister occupant. Well, I don't care. I want to tell you the story anyway. <laughs> and it became quickly obvious to me that no one really cared what kind of nun but that the uniform does represent something that we represent. We live together, we work together, we pray together. We have a code we live by, we have a set of vows we take. And so that, I think, connects to people now and they don't care really so much. And, and I think, we I don't want you to go away thinking people are mean to us, because by far they're No, we very, do have a nice lot of us. support. You should um, see our Instagram just the, you know, so the, nice. Those, the mean ones stand Lovely out people. as all. Well. There is something, though, about people in religious garb that at least for me, demands respect. I mean, my, my daughter was just in, in Jerusalem for, for a couple of months, and um, do, do the ultra-Orthodox demand respect? Perhaps not, but they're in their their their, their robes, they're, they're wearing the their, heat. their fur hats, they're, you know, it's, it's very, the, the, it's, it's, it's a difficult outfit. 
And yet, doesn't look know, comfortable, does I, it? I would not be disrespectful <laughs> to them. No, and here's no, the thing, right, though. But right. here's the thing: we've become, we've come. There's there's an awful lot of thought to what we've done here. It, it there's a lot to it, and it goes very deep to the point that we aren't. Society has enabled us to now say f you to each other and walk off and live lives separately and apart from our own family members, and because society has. Uh, we've gotten to the point where people do that. They're doing it, and it's and families are breaking up. And 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 I think we connect the meth addictions and the other troubles and the teen suicides all to the dysfunction of society and a need to return to some basic code that you live by. And what we're trying to do is be part of the new age creation of those codes. And we don't know if we're going to do it right or wrong, or if we're going to. Uh, succeed or fail. Uh, we just know that we want to be part of the people who are trying to set a new kind of example for living. Okay, so the show is about medical cannabis. It's about uh, the, the, the power of cannabis to heal. You are Sisters of the Valley, but you're also Sisters of CBD. Mm -hmm. um, at what point do you start producing products? At what point, and what have you found your products to, to be good for? Well, by the time I was done trooping around and meeting women around the valley for four years as Sister Occupy, I knew that I didn't want to do anything with the sisterhood unless I could make jobs. So I saw the coming deregulation of cannabis, much like I saw the coming the deregulation of telecom in the 1980s, and uh, that it was an opportunity. When deregulation comes, there's always an opportunity, and you don't have to be excellent at it. You can be mediocre at it and still find a place to play because it's basically a brand new industry. So I started thinking that cannabis and the hemp industry would be a good place to start uh, women-owned businesses. And that's really where it came from. But secondly, because I worked in the corporate world and I know a lot of other women who worked in the corporate world until they sucked all the goody out of us and I just didn't want to go back to that. And I went to the, I find it ironic today, that I went to the kitchen and started messing with the tonic, the tinctures that we have to this day and the salve recipe that we have to this day. And um, I was so happy, just me and the medicine and, and what's happened with the, the, the company and the industry is I'm back in my office dealing with banksters all day, right? Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what's happened. I'd like mm -hmm. to go back to the kitchen, but we've grown. Uh, somehow I feel that a, a product produced by you would be blessed. Well, everything Constantly. I did, even I felt, and talk about feeling crazy as Sister Occupy, I felt even more crazy when the first six months of me making the medicine, I was doing all the rituals myself, and I would get anybody, including like the, the little kid next door who didn't even speak any English, to just witness me making my ceremonies. But for some reason, it was really, really important to me that I had a witness to my spiritual ceremonies. Uh, one time I had a kid who was recovering from meth, just sitting there chain smoking in the backyard while I'm doing my prayers and offering under the moon to start the moon cycles and to finish the moon cycle batches. Um, we don't cook in the same kitchen where we make our medicine. And when I had to in the early days, I just made sure no cooking was done in that kitchen 48 hours ahead and made sure it was all cleaned. And it's really, we go to a lot of trouble to make the environment where the medicines are made very feminine and very spiritual. I'm a Reiki master on every day, everything is blessed. The kitchen, floor to ceiling, the jars, the bottles, the lids, the droppers, the ingredient, everything. Everything is blessed, everything. So you do a tincture and you do a salve, is, is that and pretty oil. much? And our oil. Best, our best selling product is our, our Burt's salve. Beeswax of our line is our topical salve and that we put it out there as a muscle and joint pain reliever but people are using it so much more burns and hair loss on pets and people and um, to prevent migraines skincare. and 
for toe fungus for oh. boob. Yeah, um, for, for oh, we get all kinds of reports <coughs> on things that people are using our topical salve for. Hemorrhoids. I, I wouldn't know about that last, but I'm just saying that um, we put it out there saying, look, this has been illegal for a hundred years. Um, help us catch up and help us figure out yes, what this helps us. with. So we've got a ba- database of testimonials. Like I didn't know that if you put a dab behind each ear in the morning, if you're prone to migraines, the salve will prevent you from getting a migraine that day. If you rub it on your temples at night before you go to sleep, it works as a sleep aid. Oh, the bottom of your feet. If you, yes. Um, and so people, the public is really weary of pills and doctors right now. That was a very, very lucky thing for our timing because they were also willing to experiment. Diaper rash. So it's a multi-purpose topical salve. We sell it from $10 size to $105 size. Really big, really small. And it is definitely our best-selling product. And then behind that, we have two forms of putting it in your mouth. And this is kind of important for people to understand and for our people to understand that um, even though the tincture is 10% of our sales and 40% is oil drops, coconut oil drops you put on your tongue. Why? Coconut oil drops are really mild. You can put it on in your tongue, your kid's tongue, your pet's food. Everybody will take the coconut, orange-flavored coconut oil drops. But the tincture drops, which is CBD just in a different form, um, is what, 130 proof grain alcohol or something like that? 151 grain alcohol. It's bitter. But if you have a seizure pet or a seizure kid or a seizuring parent, the alcohol tincture takes you out of a seizure spot on. Fast delivery. like a second. Straight to the bloodstream. So people who are suffering any kind of neurological or seizure disorders, they take the oil drops in the morning at night to keep that up at bay but if they ever fall into a seizure having it in the house especially of your pets we mostly grab it for our pets because mm-hmm. we get abandoned pets that are seizuring all the time so anyway those are the distinctions those are our three main products um as janice hardoon who's sitting over in the corner there dealing with a a migraine um will tell you now she has been at, at she's put on numerous presentations of her products for friends and family and so forth and almost everyone there is of an age you know perhaps 50s 60s 70s 80s and pain relief is the one thing and they want to get off of pills they want to get away from the pills and they really want to believe and hope to believe that CBD products be they tinctures be it uh, salves be it oils are the answer and to a large degree, they are indeed the answer. That's why we're here. Um, and in terms of yours, I mean, do, are, are you drowning in testimonials of, I can't believe what this did? I used to take opiates. Yes. I switched to CBD. I don't take gabapentin. I don't take opiate. I have chronic pain. Yes, we I have. don't take any of that anymore. I'm a weed nun now. That's how much I believe in it. Yeah. It took we me out of laying in bed for two years to being up and speaking to you today. As you know, the studies are very, very restricted, sadly very. so, um, because our government is, you know, it's, it's sort of medieval. Um, and there's, there's, a, there's a general belief out there that opioid addiction can be, if not cured, at least dealt with through CBD, THC, etc., it's a better way of dealing with it than, than the way they're doing it with Suboxone and all these other horrible um, substitutes, methadone. It's the same dang thing. You're giving the person the same thing to get off of what you're trying to get them and off of. And it's not addictive. Why don't you? 
uh, a, a CBD is not addictive. No, it's no. not addictive at all, and no one's ever died from it. You can take as you know, and here's something too horrible, much, though. and you just have a nice. Here's nap. what's going on around America right now: the pharmaceutical companies do not want cannabis, even though it, like the, that horse is out of the barn, as far as we're all concerned. It's game over. Pharmaceutical companies go home. But they, 95% of the studies on cannabis right now in America are being funded to be negative studies right. to prove that cannabis leads to smoking cigarettes or cannabis leads to drug. voting de- Democrat or cannabis leads to barking <laughs> at the moon. It makes you liberal. There, so we just got invited to participate in a study that aggravated me so much because they took a, a controlled group, this is in New York, of uh, 24 patients of a particular kind. I forget what they mm-hmm. all had in common is their pain. But they want to give five milligrams a day to them, and then they're, what they're going to do is it's going to do nothing. And then they're going to say, oh, we did a study, and it does nothing. And they're all crazy. So the, everybody has to be aware that this is going on, that the shitstorm hasn't even begun, because now they're seriously funding things that they're purposely trying to make them fail. And everybody who's in this industry needs to not participate with them, no matter what they Ooh, offer you. You have to the tell lies. them. And we got into an argument with them and said that, well, the weight of a person depends. Find a 200 the pound man is going to need more CBD than someone else. We kind of start, we have to be very careful. Really we have to always be reminding people we're not doctors or scientists. We can't give you dosage Amazon, information, but we say internet. this. Look, High in the hog, the take, open the bottle, take a third of a dropper. If you feel no pain relief in 10 minutes, take another third of a dropper. If you feel no pain in 10 minutes, take another third. Your dosage may be a whole dropper. Where your little 110-pound wife dripping wet, who only you know has a, a sore stubbed toe, may only need a fifth of a dropper. Just play with it, experiment, and start listening to your body. And I think the public finally now has a big appetite for that now that they've been so abused by opiates. As many guests have referred to it, it's microdosing. Yeah. That's you what it's all about. Just Absolutely. A bit, Absolutely. Just a bit and see what happens. And you don't, you're not impatient. And after 10 minutes, if nothing has happened, you don't go, oh, yeah, I'll take another dose because in two well, hours, I, you may regret it. Well, that's, I think we're different. Our products are infused. <laughs> we're not doing any pure plant oil stuff. So if you're, we have to educate the public on that. When people say how many drops I should take, we're t- I have to tell them, look, you're talking about pure plant oil. That's very different than our infused oil products, which are our salve is uh, coconut oil infused with CBD plant material and then strained. Our drops are only two to three percent CBD. There, it's 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 not meant to be a pure plant oil. We do offer gel caps. Those are pure plant oil. That's full spectrum, and those are the one that yes, you're absolutely right. With ours, you can wait 10 minutes and take more. But if you took a gel cap and waited 10 minutes and took another one and then waited 10 minutes and took another one, you'd probably sleep <laughs> you'd for sleep two for days. three days, yeah. Three days, because that's pure plant oil. And just to be clear, oh. we're not in the pure plant oil business for a reason. You have to work with concentrates and expulsion equipment. And we started out trying to do just things that women could do in their kitchen. Have you had to bring in scientists, technologists, people who, who can move you to the next level? Because this doesn't sound like a homemade uh, product anymore. We're still making everything by hand yep. in our one kitchen. We are with crockpots. Um, we've, uh, well, first of all, we're smart girls, so we know how to do research. But secondly, we brought in UC kids. UC kids have, like, the first time, I was only six months old when I allowed two UC Merced engineers, engineering majors, to come in and watch me make medicine. 
And uh, they said, how do you know you're not cooking the CBD out? And I said, well, I don't. I hadn't even done proper amount of testing at that point. This was very early days. <clears throat> and I was just into my spiritual rituals. I didn't care. I was wanting to be, it's a meditation and being in touch with our ancient mothers, being by the riverside in a very humble village or humble house or a teepee or whatever. So I would cook, them, cook it in the, the, the tincture in the crock pot or the salve for three or four days eight hours a day and stir it. So they said, I need to test at the end of every day. And I said, oh, I don't have the money for that. So we settled on, I'd do two tests, one the first night and one the third night. And I determined I was cooking the CBD out of the medicine. So yes, we try to bring people in every once in a while because it's to our benefit to have some outside engineering eyes. But we are uh, still doing everything by hand, but we've upgraded to bigger and more temperature controlled science than crockpots. Now, you were, of course, Sister Alice and Sister Kate. And over there in the corner filming things is, was it Brother Keith? Brother Dwight. Brother Dwight. Where does, where does Brother Dwight fit into this? Mm, he carries our bags. <laughs> oh, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No. We blame him for everything that goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> and he wears that role really well. Um, Brother Dwight is associate producer of our, of our film, Breaking Habits. But he's also... Um, works with us in like a strategy capacity. Um, he knows real estate and he knows a lot about the people around us that are always trying to shut us down. So he acts as an advisor to us and also as a partner as we get ready to open our first uh, like Main Street stores and staff them with new sisters. And where will that be? Livingston, we hope. Livingston is the only sanctuary city in the Central Valley. So, and it's very minority. Really? Oh, yes. We, we just have a second one. A second one just declared itself. I don't know if it was oh, Delano. We, a we decided to go where they were. Where There's a sanctuary another city dirty, was, so. dusty city. And, that's, yeah. and Brother Dwight's going to be a partner on that operation, yeah. or maybe even more because. Ugh, running a store. But otherwise, your products can be found through your website, Sisters of the Sisters Valley. Sistersofcbd.com. And Sisters of... Is oh, it's it's our online both? store. Yeah, well, we have Sisters we have of the Valley. Store. We're SistersOfTheValley.org. We're SistersOfTheValley.org. Wait. Where in Los Angeles can we find your products? Anywhere yet? Not yet. Okay, we'll start with Janet. Yeah, uh... <laughs> It um, is a online. pleasure. It is it is an honor, ladies. I mean, what you were doing, you. even though you may downplay the holiness of it, it is a, there's a sacrament here. You know, for those of us who use CBD, we're so glad to have a plant product to use, not something produced in some giant factory in in yeah. in, um, in in Taiwan. Nothing, no offense, to Taiwan, but I look at where my stuff comes from, and it's like. I don't even know. I don't know what. Right. I, what is this? What? Who made this stuff? Um, but there's more to it too. The, the, that making of the medicine in a holy environment. We don't look at it like we're. That's really not the part where we feel like we're being altruistic because that's for us. That's healing for us. And everybody who comes in our kitchen says the same. And we don't. Uh, uh, you know, we don't restrict men from coming in and making the medicine with us because we found that most of the men are helping us on our our fight to move this along and to get people speaking in moon cycles again and people to be connecting the moon energy to the day-to-day -day life on planet earth and i mean we're free not to be burnt at the stake now if we rev revere mother earth and what the gifts god's given us and so we're just like trying to play with that theme and go okay we can do that now so how do we do it yet 
I mean, I spent eight years in a Catholic school with the nuns, and you cannot take the Catholic girl out of me now. You can't. And she spent her growing up years uh, practicing traditional Jewish traditions. So it's the same. We still sit Shiva. We've just got a very mixed uh, sort of bag of stuff we do. It's really interesting. No, it really is. It's beautiful. All us women from different walks of life can come together and throw in little bits of sparks of love into you know what we do every day it really is it's it's a great way to live a very feminine matriarchal way of living not patriarchal at all it's more a lot more comfortable i am inspired sister alice sister kate brother dwight this is brother merrill with um (laughs) brother brother phil and and sister janice here it's high in the hog thank you very much for the time thank you thank you for having us god bless bless you too